I'm here in the studio with Cassie Curtis. Hi. Hi. <laughs> She's a local remodeler and owner of Spiral, Spiral Works Contracting, longtime part, longtime member of the LGBT community, and mom of a seventh grade girl. Um, I'm so happy that you're here with me, Cassie. Like, so happy. When I first started this show, you were one of the first people I thought about having on it. <laughs> and honestly, I we have the podcast going and all the different um, uh, different platforms. But the podcast, we we'd have lunch and we would meet up and we have all these great conversations. And I would be like, oh, you got to be on my podcast. And now you're here. So I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank it's, you. It's great to be here. <laughs> right on. OK, so we are just is going to be a little informal because um, I am doing a couple different things. I'm on Facebook Live. So if you're not. If you're listening on the radio, thank you very much. You can also catch us on uh, www.kepw.org if you have to go, or if you know people who are listening afar, they can catch us there. Um, so today, me and Cassie, we're going to be talking white privilege, white fragility, the LGBTQ community, and how this interlaps and, and really uh, works against us all. <laughs> and um, I think we're just going to go from there. I mean, that's a pretty big topic. We only have an hour. And unfortunately, that's what we have today. So we're going to work the best we can and see how that goes. If anyone has questions or comments, please uh, come to Facebook Live or to my podcast and leave them there. And we can address them on different podcasts after that. So, all right. All right. So you and I were talking before the show started, and we were we were going all over the place because white privilege is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the first thing we started talking about, I said, "Well, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with privilege or fragility?" And I was like, "Well, they're kind of intertwined, and and one you can't really talk about one without the other, right?" Correct. Yeah. So um, uh, we're gonna start off with the definition. We went on to Google. And just so that we could get a very clear definition of white privilege <clears throat> to start off with, just so people who are actually really still struggling with the idea and what that means and what that, what that, how, how can you just define white privilege? And I have to say that when we did go on Google, we found several definitions of white privilege, which is interesting to me because it makes me understand that people are, the powers that be are actually still struggling with a concrete definition of what this is. And to me, it's very concrete, but, you know, when it comes down to the privilege and the fragility, I guess it's not. <laughs> no, it uh, isn't. Yeah. So, definition of white privilege. Term to describe unearned rights, benefits afforded white people. We also found another one that we both thought we liked a little bit more than that, which is inherent advantages possessed by a white person on the basis of their race in a society characterized by racial inequality and injustice. All right. I think one of the easiest ways to um, get a good definition is to use an analogy around um, hearing people and deaf folks. Mm -hmm. Like the world is entirely set up for hearing or seeing people, but the world is not set up at all to um, cater to the needs of deaf or blind folks. Right. And so sometimes white people have an easier understanding if you can uh, make that analogy. It's more comfortable to point it out because it's so obvious like right the world is set up very clearly for hearing and seeing people and so there's a big advantage in that it's right an inherit advantage um, and people who have it 
generally don't think about or understand that they have it. Yeah. And that's where a lot of confusion comes in. So that's when we when you were first talking about that, I said, um, it's interesting that as a white woman, um, you are describing white privilege. And the first thing that you did was say, the well, when, you, when you're trying to talk to another white person about it, you got to take race out of it. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, you have to take race out of it because of the fragility part of the whole conversation. So you're talking to other white women or white men, white folks, white, you know, white. And the first thing that you understand in order to get this conversation across is that you actually have to not mention the racial aspect to the definition so that they can clearly see the disadvantage. Um, to me, that in itself is something that is so problematic you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that in itself is the is is white privilege, white fragility. Yep. And and it's it's not mind blowing to me because I live in the society. I live here in Eugene. I understand how white folks think. Um, but if you really wrap your head around the idea that just mentioning race in a definition like that will literally shut down all of the learning that has to that has to happen for white folks to understand how they are benefiting from just being white. You say, okay, how, we won't talk about the skin color. Let's talk about something way more obvious. Like, <laughs> to, why is it not obvious? Like, what, I mean, I know this answer, and a lot of these answers are like, you know, hashtag obvi, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, but maybe not, because that's what the whole thing about privilege is. White folks aren't understanding how it's not obvious to them. They don't get it. They're poor, too. They can't get into colleges. They have their own, you know, uh, societal struggles. issues and struggles. So how are they benefiting? Well, I think I saw the, the ease of using that analogy, you know, coming from being a queer person and trying to get people to understand straight privilege. Right. <laughs> like, it was easier to say, well, do you, can you see it from this aspect, uh, like looking at it from the perspective of um, a deaf or blind person or a right. person with any other kind of disability that the world isn't set up, that we have these privileges. And then sometimes it's, you know, people are able to kind of click in with that and go, oh, okay, right. yeah, straight privilege. All right, I have, it. I don't even have to think about my sexuality growing up or, right. or contemplate, you know, uh, if I'm going to ad adopt a kid with my, uh, you know, straight partner, it's a different, it's a different process than right. if you're queer. Um, yeah. uh, so it's the same sort of, uh, analogy and trying to get people to step outside of where they might be a little bit uncomfortable or unsure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nice white people don't want to offend, right. you know, they yeah. don't want to offend or say <coughs> the wrong thing. And mm -hmm. so... They get caught up in it being all about them. They don't want to, you know, mess See, up and hurt their friend's feeling or Right, whatever. and this is where, okay, so this is great because that is something that <laughs> I'm cracking up because that kills me. Because um, the idea of, like, and, and, uh, and I'm air quoting, if you guys can't see me, nice white people, like the nice ones, <laughs> air quoting nice ones. The, the truth of it is that we talk about, uh, we talk about intent and impact. Right. And there are plenty of white folks who are intentionally good people. They don't want to hurt. They don't want to offend. They don't. They're almost like 
stepping so so gently and uh you know that they can't that they are, are are so scared to offend that they are offending while not offending and then there's you know so then we yeah. then, so what happens is that then people are having to coddle that experience because the nice people are trying right so then we are actually feeding into their privilege being uncomfortable is a part of this learning curve. Absolutely. You know, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. You're not growing and you're not paying attention. Right. Honestly. Right. Um, we, my, uh, a good friend of mine that I've worked with quite a bit, Johnny Lake, you know, Johnny, yeah. yeah. He, we did, uh, well, he did, has a session, has um, a program called Six Sessions, and he comes in six different sessions and talks about race and privilege and all of these you know, race relations, basically. So I, um, we, he and I contracted for the, with Department of Human Services to do um, six sessions there for the government workers uh, while I worked there. And um, I remember one of my friends talking to me, saying how she didn't like it. She's white. Uh, she didn't like it. And, and this is very unusual because Johnny is amazing. Shut up. Um, and his, his talks are very... They're not luxury. They're very, no. you know, about his family, about his experiences, about his grandmother, about how he walks through the world, look at it in a different light, look at it from this perspective. And then he asked people to do their own experiences. And then, of course, there's teaching un- underneath and there's perspective underneath and all of that. She was very uncomfortable. Wow. And I, she And I said, well, why were you so uncomfortable? She said, it just made, us, made me feel like I was just the white, the white people were just the bad guy. Now, mind you, I've been in all of his sessions several different times, and not once is the white white people described as bad people. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, not at all. I, I did one of his... We did the one through the Oregon Country Fair. Oh, when I set that up for the Country Fair. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've seen him in action, and, yeah, he goes out of his way to... I mean, maybe not purposefully, but it's very accessible, put it yes. that way, to white people who haven't put a lot of thought into race relations, racism, white privilege, any, you know, or kind of at the 101 level. Or, right. Um, he, he makes it very accessible, so. It's true. And it, so and it, if you're talking like that, right, it's what very accessible. You're open to it. But you're an open person. You're open to this idea. Um, you have these conversations with people who are uncomfortable, Yes. In these classes. So what is that about? Like what I mean, like I said, a lot of this is very obvious for me right. in this conversation. A lot of people I always tell people who uh, white folks or, uh, you know, brown people always say these, these race conversations, having them with white folks. It's like I'm on a 601 level, which is indicative of like a Ph.D. a master's level of, of race relations. And then white folks are like, you know, 95, which is not college level. Like, we're, right. you know, and so we're trying to have these conversations and it gets frustrating and it gets like, why aren't you hearing me? Because our experience puts us in at 601, you know? Yeah. So I'm asking you just because you are white and you're open and you have these conversations. And I know that you're someone when people are talking, you interject and say, well, hey, in the most, because you're very conscious about the fragility. You're very conscious about the fragility. Um, which I admire about you because I'm super not. <laughs> well, I'm super not. There's a reason why it's <laughs> easier for me than it is for you. That's true. So talk on it. So what, so how do you how uh, so tell me about those conversations? Like, in I mean, when I had that conversation with my friend who said she was really uncomfortable, I told her then you were getting it. I said then that means you were actually absorbing some of the information because it is uncomfortable to understand that you've been walking through the world ignorantly. And probably hurting people that you did not even intend to hurt. 
that would be uncomfortable. Right. Like you would feel uncomfortable. And if you feel like it's a, an attack on you, it's probably because you have done those things and didn't mean to. And you want the, oh, it's okay, pat on the back. Right. But you can't, you cannot <laughs> continue to live your life with the pat on the back. That's what I told my coworker. I said, you know, because we live through this every day. And she, and then, of course, the immediate conversation goes to, well, you don't have to. Well. To survive, you kind of do. Kind of (laughs) do. So we will go to the talk in just a second. You and I talked about the talk, um, which leads to exactly what we're talking about. But I wanted to, I want you to continue. I want you to talk about um, the conversation that you have around people who are uncomfortable when they're being taught about this privilege that they're living in, the fragility. I'm not sure where it came. I mean, it probably came from uh, having to have the the sort of equivalent conversations around um, gay and lesbian issues mm-hmm. um, with straight friends, family, whatever. And that probably came up first for you, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, um, you know, as a white person growing up in white white Eugene, yeah, there's not really a lot going on in terms of learning about this stuff as I was coming of age right. in the '70s or '80s. Right. So, so no, I think it stems from from that uh, for me, um, uh, and learning as I've gotten older and read more and listened more and gotten to know more black Act people. Act of curiosity, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've started to see the correlations and and understand that there's a lot of similarities. There's obviously clear differences, but there are some similarities in terms of um, how we move through the world and the things we have to. Um, be careful of in conversations and just connecting. Just with being people. discriminated against and working against biases. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then being a woman in a non-traditional field. So, you know, I'm kind of used to looking at things, having to understand um, the non-dominant culture and the dominant culture both, and right. so I can extrapolate and get, you know, how you you grow up having to understand white culture. Yeah probably better than white people do. Most yeah. black people do, right. from what I can see. By survival, exactly. Right. Yeah. And and I think queer people understand straight culture and sexuality better sometimes than straight Absolutely. folks do. Because we have to grapple with it as we come of age and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, move through our life. And straight people don't necessarily have to really think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, on an active level, it just is. So I think that's where that comes from. Just as my processes um, moved along um, as I've gotten older, um, I've just become more aware of it, and I, I just care more, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's what you're just saying. It's so clear, like, when it just is. That, that, sent- that little, you know, comment, it just is, for people living with privilege is that that is the fact. It just is. And so the idea that you don't come out of the, the just is and, and see that it just isn't <laughs> for most other people, right. um, that's, where the, the, that's where the crisis comes in and that's where the fragility comes in. Because it's like that, it's not my fault, it just is. And they don't understand where the structure, the continual structure continues to allow it to be just is for them. Right. You know, and, and the way it was originally built up is that we were not even considered people to begin with. You know, in this uh, in this uh, constitution, we were not considered, you know, of the people. So right. this was never built to include anyone other than the heterosexual white, really men, to begin with. So when you start off there, 
and understand that it has never been dismantled. The the rules and the policies and the the has never been dismantled. So now that you're oh we're allowing gay people into the army. Oh we're allowing women to be di- that means we're be- there's an exception to the rule. Right. The rule hasn't changed. Right. Right. <laughs> the exception to the rule has been added. It's the addition that is the insult. Okay. You didn't change the policy. Correct. You know. Um, so it, now when you're having these conversations with folks who are like uncomfortable, are, is it because they feel like it's personal attacks to them or do they just don't understand the, the, the way that it's built up or like, what, did, what do you find when you're having these conversations? I think it's a mix of things. And I think it sometimes depends on their class background. If white people mm-hmm. who were raised poor working class, <clears throat> who had to kind of scrap their way through and didn't get anything handed to them, they tend to struggle more with the concept of white privilege, the word mm-hmm. privilege kind of uh, trips them up a little bit. Yes, I think. yeah. And they're like, hey, well, hey, I didn't get handed any of this, you right. know. Um, but I think ultimately people don't want to feel bad. Like that's really what it boils down to mm-hmm. is you don't want to, nobody wants to be seen as a racist, right. a capital R racist, and if if we're going to yeah. separate it out a little bit. And, and we've lumped everything, the... the um, to the point where people just feel like even talking about it, they just wig out a little bit right. and, and and focus on feeling bad. Right. And then it turn it, that centers them and makes it all about them and and you know they get tripped up and people have feelings about that and yeah it it, it snowballs. It snowballs <laughs> into the ugliest mess ever and it's like a Winfrey oh white tears you know it's like. <laughs> It's funny because black folks have these things that we we come up with antidotes that that help us get through these like little inf- that and crying white tears is one of them and it's what it's that woe is me right that is the the equity of, that's the the quality of white tears it's like oh woe is you again <laughs> you know it's like really right. you know um if you can't it's it's interesting where uh, the tough skin comes in like. We that conver- okay. I, I cannot get over. We were having a conversation, and um, <laughs> it's not funny, but it's it's horrible because we're talking and we were saying I can't even remember exactly what we were talking about. But you were like, "Oh, well, I haven't been, you know, uh, directly beat up. You know, there's sexual this, and then there's you know people spit on you, and then there's this. But you know, that not those little things, like this other thing. And it's like, <laughs> hold up, <laughs> right? Right. Wait, I've had bomb wait. threats and death threats, uh, but you know, but, I've you never know, actually been beaten up. No, so you know, it's all good, right? <laughs> what the heck, you know? So that's the same thing with me, and that's the same thing with a lot with most marginalized people who don't live in their own communities and. Even even within the community, we're used to having some sort of abuse right. that we qualify as every day what you got to do to be queer, to be black, to be brown. It just comes with that territory. And there's some things that cross the line. There are other microaggressions we live with every day. Right. So when a white person is like, God, this makes me feel sad. You know? <laughs> I feel bad. It's like, good. You just one step into just that the idea that this is what it is. It it is bad. It is sad. It's actually an everyday tincture we have to drink to to keep on moving. You know, right. it's like that building your immune system when you take in a little bit at a time, you get stronger. Right. A little bit at a time you get stronger. So I implore white folks to do exactly what you're doing and to have that curiosity. So that takes me to that idea of the talk. So we talked about the talk. 
black folks, brown folks, um, and I, I want to even say probably marginalized folks. I don't know if queer people have talked with their kids about queer reality. That's I think it depends on how, where the, I mean, if, if, if your kid is queer and you're a clueless straight parent who's non-supportive, you're not having the talk. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you're a really open-minded person and your kid ends up queer or trans, um, you're having the talk. So this them. gets me to my point, though. We talked about the talk. Black folks, so the people out there in the in the waves and the ether don't know what the talk is about. It's all over Google. We're trying to share it with you. We're trying to show you all about it. Um, the, the thing about the talk is that um, you talk to your children as young as five for black folks uh, as soon as they go into the public. You know, especially um, they have to understand context. They have to understand they're, they're where they can be loud, where, where they cannot be loud, how they have to behave, what to expect from people around them to not understand that they are not seen as equal. They, are, they have to be uh, more polite, more, smarter. They have to be um, aware of how police, old folks, white folks, people are going to see you right. and understand that there's a particular type of behavior that you cannot participate in. You have this that you can do. And if that is not what's happening, you need to get out of there for your safety. Now, this is not five years old. We're talking safety talks with your brown children, right? So that is um, not antidote. This is something that happens. I'm, I will stretch to say in 98% of households that are aware of racial disparity and conflict um, and they are aware of that their children, when they walk out the door, who are brown, are in danger. It's just reality, right? So we yeah. start to talk. Kids, uh, my children were called the N-word. I was called the N-word before second grade. Uh, we live in Eugene, right? So this is not something that is unusual. So I have to tell them. So when my little girl was called the N-word in second grade, she was she knew what to do. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you know? And she's seven. She knows what to do, you know? So the, the thing about it is that is what we have to teach our kids. So what I was saying that people who are aware, now you're a queer um, and you are aware, we're going to put that hashtag woke <laughs> <laughs> on, you put yourself in that position. No one said, hey, you know, Cassie, how about you learn about black folks' plight? How about you learn about their experience? Because it's not in the school. You know, we all no. know about slavery. We all know about MLK. So it's not in the school. So you said, you know, wait a minute. Let's put this together. And you went out and you self-taught and you learned and you experienced and you got, you went out and put yourself into black areas and you got friends and you're like, let's talk. And I don't know so much about this. Teach me. I'll teach you. I, you know, same thing for me with queer folks. I don't ask people if they're queer. You know what I mean? It's not a thing. But I have friends that I didn't have before who I'm like, I, I suck at pronouns and I try super hard and I do a good job now. Better job. I'm going to say better job. But my friends, I, they do the same thing to me. Tell me if I'm, like, messing this up. Tell me if I'm... Okay, right. so now you, we have an understanding of we're learning and we're in a process. This, that's a different experience for black folks who live in a black community. White folks who live... Black folks who live in a white community, we have to bridge this. The issue with that bridge is that that talk. They're not having that talk with no, their kids. white folks aren't having that talk with our kids. No. No. And so when I we have need my... to, we need to have that talk with our kids. So what would that talk look like? That talk, well, I've had some of those conversations with my daughter around uh, explaining that black, uh, black kids and brown kids her age 
get the talk from their parents mm -hmm. explaining what that talk is to her so she understands mm -hmm. and so that she understands when she's with kids of color that uh, in certain situations there's going to be a real disparity in the way or there could be yeah. there often is yeah. a real disparity in the way that they're treated and she needs to be aware for for their safety like yeah. she needs to understand that that there's a different scenario happening for them. So you, you talk to her about that, about her, the friends that she has, the brown friends that she has, black friends mm -hmm. that she has. You've let her know. Yes. Yeah. So what do you say? Like, how? I mean, how's it go? Boy, it's been a couple years since I, the first time when she was uh, closer friends with one black kid, mm -hmm. a girl, uh, and I just explaining to her that, um, you know, if you go into a store and you're with a whole group of kids and someone snatches something that that you know i mean first off you if you're with kids who do that you put yourself <laughs> yeah. at, at risk i yeah. mean you know of getting in trouble or you know um being misunderstood but that that the picture and the consequences are going to be very different for that black or brown kid right um and that talk will be different when she starts driving and she's mm -hmm. getting in cars with her friends with no parents like that that you take it to another level at that point and yeah explain. Um, I mean, I did get the police talk from, from my mom about hands on the wheel if you ever get pulled over and right. tell them you're reaching into the glove box, you the know, all etiquette. of that. But, but there wasn't the same level of um, consequence or fear or the reality that, you know, I was, if I put myself in that situation that the police were going to, if something happened, it was, certainly wasn't going to be about the color of my skin. Right, right. But for you to tell your child, and I love that, because folks in Eugene, folks in Oregon, folks around the country who, when you have a, a, the predominant uh, culture around you is not of your own, it's important that the, the families who are aware teach their kids, because you get, you're going to be in a situation, and, and that, that black or brown kid has had to talk. And then they're in a position where they're around a bunch of kids who have privilege and who can behave any way they want to behave. And they're stuck in the middle of this. Um, what I've seen, and, um, and they have to negotiate being stuck in the middle of this, right? Do I leave? Right. Do I stay? Generally, and I talk about black, the identity crisis here uh, quite a bit. I actually have some guests coming in that have found my podcast and want to talk to me about black culture versus the culture that's out here, the Pacific Northwest black culture, and the crisis that's, that's prevalent, you know, the identity crisis. That identity crisis is, is super dangerous. And um, it's dangerous because the, these black kids who are hanging out with white kids doing what kids do, right? So that's a, in his quote right there, doing right. what kids do. That is a white quote. That is something that does not I include black children or brown children. And people... Um, really have to uh, understand that th those blanket statements don't work when you have friends of color. And if you're not aware that you guys are doing what kids do and you're with your friends of color, you're putting them in danger. It's almost like the same right. idea of um, when you call the cops because something is, is bothering you. You're putting that person of color in real life danger. It's just the reality of the United States at this point. It just is. Yes. Um, so I have a daughter who is who I struggle with. Like she's she's black, of course, and her, our family's a very strongly identified black culture. Um, and we, we don't have questions about where we come from or what we do. Like we we know we're very solid that way. My parents did a very good job 
two black parents from St. Louis, knew who they were when they came out here. It didn't falter. You know? yeah. So um, and we and we never really assimilated to the point that we lost that identity into in, you know, we never really my dad and my mom were very strong about their identity. So we never lost it as we stayed, you know. Right. I guess we have compromised quite a bit. So my daughter goes out with her friends and um and my son also. Uh and I would I would he would be like hurt because if something went wrong and it was like the blame came to him. Of course. And it, he was like, I was just doing what everyone else was doing. Or my daughter was like, I don't get it. You know, why Why are they calling my, why are they calling you? There was nine other people there. I wasn't even in the building. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's because it defaults racially to black and brown kids. It will be your fault. You will be the one that's arrested. You will be the one that started the fight. You know, you will be that one. And if you got white kids around you who won't stand up for you. Exactly. Where are you? Right. You know, and that that's a painful experience to have. These kids, just like your daughter and my daughter, are growing up feeling like this racial thing is here. We're hearing about it. Are we experiencing it? And I have to actually point out, because the, it just is, is so prevalent that I have to point out that, like, that just wasn't for you. That doesn't count for you. If you go up there... The disappointment you're feeling is not because you didn't do whatever you were supposed to do. It's because you were black. The idea is that I recognize the institutional racism in it. I institu- I recognize. So we have to teach our kids. To suss out what is uh, the situation from the perspective of, is it institutionalized racism? What What's going on here behind the, the scenes? But you have to take, your kids have to... Spend time thinking about that. My kid doesn't. Right. My kid doesn't have to try and parse out the cultural context of something right. because everything is set up in her favor. So, but I wonder, <clears throat> does she? Does she? I know she's younger. She's middle school. Yeah. So I. So, but I wonder, does she? Is she opening her eyes to queer issues? Like, I feel like some people who, when you are, when you like, you know how when you read the book and there's symbols. And so all of a sudden you see you start to see symbols everywhere and you're like I never knew that place had that because now I see it. Otherwise, you, if you don't know, it's invisible to you. But if you are if it's if it's given to you and you go look, these are all the things that mean these things. Black folks walk in like we were talking about whether you could see like gaydar and like black, <laughs> like I can tell a mixed black person who looks white. I go like, no, that person's black. Like I can see right. that because I'm. Bl- I we have the signals. We know that we know we know all of the little clues. You can see it because it's in, it's your reality. Yes. So the same way with society, there's things where people are like, oh, you're just pulling out the race card. When you're black, you see things that if you're not aware, if you don't speak that language, if you're not trying to, you won't see those things. So that's where that comes in. It's like I I'm telling you how it's built. I see how it's built. This was built. Right there, do you see that little symbol? That means not for black folks. You can walk in if you want to. You know, black folks can walk in and out all day long. But if you recognize that symbol, we know when we go in there, there's a behavior that we must abide to or we are in danger. You know what I mean? You can come in, you can't touch, you can't look, don't talk too long, don't linger too long, don't be loud, you know, don't reach in your purse, don't have a hood. Don't have, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and those are all very real. So we have to show that. So if you have a daughter who is being raised by a queer family, like, right, mother, parents, 
Does she more aware that are you teaching her symbols of for your safety? You know, is she more aware of that? This is where I'm not sure the analogy sticks because uh, kids her age, like she's got, she already has friends who've come out uh, both as trans and as gay or lesbian, mm-hmm. um, and it's not in their world. I don't, I don't know that it's that much of a thing. It's just, it's like, yeah, she has a red shirt on. Yeah. yeah, she identifies, you know, as female. Right. Um, it's true. That th- is that, true. That part is yeah. shifting so much so that I don't, I don't know that e- uh, even young queer people I, today don't necessarily, uh, you know, if they don't know their history, they don't know that, you know, even, you know, when I was coming of age, things were very, very different. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we had an understanding coming up in the in the eighties. You know that it was very, very different mm-hmm. because we were kind of at that age where things were just starting to break out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was only because the people that came before us. Right. We have, a, a, I think, a more direct link to when it was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, now society, although not legislatively, but right. um, culturally, you know, things are uh, a lot a lot better. Yeah. Um, so I'm more not accepting. sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so sure. Um I mean, we do have conversations about it, and I think being raised in a non-traditional family, um, she has some awarenesses that other kids don't. Right. She would have to. I mean, yeah. yeah. But it's it's um, it's a little bit different because because yeah. queer culture isn't passed down through the generations the way right. black culture is. I mean, right. you learn your black culture from your family. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's you know what your connection to that is is through that's the vehicle towards for it right for queer kids unless they have queer relatives you know they're they're getting their history from their community or from yeah from dominant culture right um and since there are things i mean you there are visible um you know there's queer characters in movies and and whatnot mm-hmm. where there used to not be so so it's that part is a little bit different right you know and thinking about that i was thinking about the black community and the queer community and how uh i due to the bible belt and due to the uh the the, the heavy um you know i mean there's lots of reasons but due to that that heavy stigma of of christianity and to black slavery um and going forward it's always been really dangerous for people of color uh to be to even come out at all and it still is you know um and i think what i see changing in that sphere is that um there are other black folks who are are more aware and who are more open who are charging the black folks who are not which is different now it was never to talk about that but now we're saying hey leave them alone you have a conversation all of a sudden within the black community of like let him do or let her do or let them do what they do Right. And then you have a, 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 albeit much larger conversation about no, they may not. We are not accepting this, but the fact that there is even a branch that's visible saying we support them—that is the change. This is what I was talking about when we were talking about all the brown, uh, like all the brown issues, like brown, like which I, I said I was watching white folks to see which brown group that they accept to to allow to have their to move forward with showing their history or to move forward with showing their, their validity. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching white folks and saying, who are they accepting more? You know, uh, black, brown, 
uh, native, like the, that's those type of things. And um, it's it's the same idea of it's the same idea um, that we have so much work to do within our own communities, but with each other. So it's like for white folks to not have conversations about black folks issues. That's that's all we can't even jump there because I think it's a white folks are still actively ignoring and actively white splaining. (laughs) Yes. You know, black life when when black lives matter is actually controversial. (laughs) Yeah. Huh? Like we're literally saying don't kill us and people are going, but wait, (laughs) but but what about this? What are you talking about right now? You, see, you know, we and so... We have a long way to go. Long, long way we are not, to go. You know, it's the same thing. Like, well, okay, so now you have Ellen on TV where everything, yeah. and you can get married now. Everything is fine. Well, no, actually, it's not fine. We're getting the violences upticking. They're yeah. rolling back the laws that we do have, which, by the way, have never... There's no federal protection for us. Right. Um, so I, I, as a citizen in this country, do not have full civil rights. Yeah. Um, so it, it isn't, you know, just because we had Obama doesn't mean that, right. that racism is over. Yeah. You know, we, we have a long, long way to go. It's a long, like a long history of this fragility, this by this bypassing of what's hard and yeah. the bypassing of what's hard. What's hard is that, that this, the policies are, I talked the policies are still in, in, is, is still the bottom line. It's the way that it is. It's just the way we do things. It's just the way it is. That is that is what kills it immediately. It's just the way it is. That is, is in it. If you ever hear anybody that you're working for, or you're anybody that you're around, or people that you hang out with, and that's just the way it is, that's a red flag. Yes. You know, it's a huge red flag. Because that, just the way it is, hasn't worked for anybody that's, that's marginalized since day one. So we, we can't keep it there. We're still scrambling for scraps we're still scrambling for scraps oh they're like oh jay-z's a billionaire he was a rapper he came don't give me that you right. know what i'm saying don't give me that because jay-z still gets pulled over you know what, you know what yeah. i mean and yeah. still has to uh, you know go be sent to court like on traffic stops like he, they're, they're threatening jail time because he has the money to buy himself out of it talks about it all the time you know what i mean it, it doesn't you they talk about arming black teachers right Arming teachers with guns? Are you kidding me? Did you see the guy? Did you see the guy in Portland who who disarmed Keenan Lowe? Keenan Lowe, the football player. Yes. Yeah. Now someone immediately was like, "I don't want to say that it's you know that he's a black dude because then they're going to talk about his race." But the fact that the, he had that gun, we're glad police officers weren't there when he had the gun in his hand. Right. You uh, know. Yeah. When and he, he pulled it away from the student. Yes. And somebody came around the corner and he. He, you could only see in the video. You can barely see the student mm-hmm. who's still coming out of the classroom, and he's in the hallway with the gun. Yeah, right. very easily could have a police officer could have come around the corner and seen black guy with gun. Boom, boom, dead. done, done. And so the idea that people still are wanting to argue that aspect, wanting to argue that it's it's that's we it's a it's a long stretch to ask white folks to have conversations with their kids, but the ones who are aware. The ones who are raising brown children, the ones who are living in a culture where they're, they're, they are the minority, you need to be talking about 
where you are, who you're surrounded by. You need to be talking about, if, especially if you're the majority and there is minority kids, you need to be talking about what's real for those other kids because that is how the the systems will change because these kids grow up and they have to be able to say, the way we've been doing it doesn't work. Right. And they won't learn it from anywhere else but the people who, us, society, who lives it. Because like you just said, legislatively, they're not doing anything until we can create some change with each other. Right. Right? So when we, we have to, to get the allyship uh, between communities. I mean, it's, it's like when I first came out, um, some of the most homophobic people I met at the UVO were black folks. Yeah. And, and oh, fortunately, I, I understood enough not to ascribe that to all black people right. and be like, well, you know, I didn't end up with any attitude around it. Right. Um, but uh, things have shifted. And it makes sense because right now in the queer community, the most vulnerable members of it are the black yeah. black queer folks. Yeah. Black trans women are the ones that are getting killed more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so I think that things have shifted a little bit mm-hmm. around that. Right. And that, that's good. I, I think really appealing to the sense that um, as white people, I don't have, if I don't understand or know nothing about black culture or history, and we'll just talk about it in terms of the U.S., then I don't know my country's real history. Right. I don't have connection to my full humanity as a person if I can't understand things from someone else's perspective. If I don't know what it's like for a person moving around in the world with a disability, if I'm completely unaware, I've never thought about it, I'm I'm losing an access to part of my humanity. And, you know, that's a great uh, way to look at it because here, um, the white folks that I know, um, being humanistic and being human is what they, they don't, oh, I don't, I don't do the racial thing, I'm human. So, okay, so with you describing the issue of being human in the reality in which it means to be human in this world, in the United States, in Oregon, right? In Eugene, let's just get even smaller, right? If you're actively ignoring the existence and experience of of other human beings, you know, regardless if you subscribe to racial whatever, you're actively participating in that privilege. Right. You know, and... But we miss out. I mean, like, if I can move that analogy back to the gay community, like... I think about straight men growing up in such isolation because they can't, there's, because of homophobia, men aren't allowed to be physically close and uh, kind to each other in that certain physical kind of, um, I don't know, straight girls will pile on a couch and watch movies and have their legs all over each other mm-hmm. and it's it's no big deal girls right. have access to that non-sexual you know boys don't have access to that right except the only kind of physical touch that's okay is is you know sports or, mm-hmm. or you know something that's um oftentimes it's violent right um and right. so they're you know straight men lose out on something really important mm-hmm. you know and, yeah connection um, uh, right, and yeah. so I think probably coming from the queer community, mm-hmm. I've had a little bit more of a window into that, and so that's increased my drive. And then just, you know, the whole way our friendship came about, like, mm-hmm. you know, we're neighbors, and I really liked you, you Emma moved says away. hi, by the way. Do you know Emma? Uh-uh. Uh, she, okay, you do know Emma. She's oh. your neighbor. She goes down the street. If you saw her, if you oh, saw her, you'd be like, yes, she okay. says hi on the Okay, thing. great. Hey, Emma. <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Um, 
you know, like I wanted to be friends with you, but I was like, you know, tripping up all over my nice white liberal self and worried that, you know, you think I was trying to make you my token black friend. Right. And, you know, I had to just eventually just get over myself yeah. and realize that actually, you know, that wasn't going to be the case, that we See, could just be it was, friends. But what's interesting about that <laughs> is, like, people listening to this are thinking, like, well, how do I not do that? Like, how do I not, how, if I don't know black folks, how do I become friends with black folks and not in a, in a sincere way? Like, and the idea that you have that, that sphere that there's a difference between you and I because of my skin is the part of the bias that's there, right? Exactly. The same bias I had about being friends with you, knowing that you were queer, <laughs> and it wasn't because I thought, oh, I don't like queer people. It was literally thought I thought you would have no interest in me because you were <laughs> hanging out more with my husband at the time. So I thought, like, you guys were, like, bonding. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, they do, like, whatever stuff, and I'm going to go do over there. You guys are talking about the cars and everything, and I'm going to go in my room. Like, I, I didn't even, like, try to engage you because I just figured, what would we talk about? Like, right. and that is the bias of, like, what did you call yourself? Um, What did you say? I don't remember. I don't know. I have to think about it. It was hilarious. <laughs> I was dying. Um, <laughs> I just figured that the, your interest was not with me. You know what I mean? Right. For whatever reason. Um, because you were, you're queer. John, my ex-husband is a dude. You guys were talking about, in my world, dude things. <laughs> so I'm like, let me just exit left, st- like legs right, you know, whatever. And, um, and I just didn't. And then... Right. What was interesting, even for both of our experiences, and we've talked about this before, is that when we did actually become friends, we related over our breakups. <laughs> right. It was like our really deep breakups, and we we started talking about about that. And you were super helpful in me understanding some perspective in that breakup. And I would hope that I was an ear yeah, for you. No, you were. To, you know, and then it was very clear that nothing about my race or your sexuality had anything to do with the connection right. that we made. You know, it was very human, actually. Yeah, well, we, we neither of our, us do, we don't do shallow, and that's why we connected, because we don't we're do both, shallow. That's true. both into <laughs> things that are a little deeper. <laughs> we're so. like, how deep can you go? Let's have a seat. Like, <laughs> let's have our, a seat and talk about our it. Our quick conversations turn into like, Oh my God, like three four hours. hours. <laughs> yeah, I, no, the people that I, I really appreciate are people who can sit down and do that. Not that I don't appreciate shallow, but I really don't. Like, I <laughs> Not that I don't, but I don't. <laughs> but it's like, it's it's one of those things where you, you can get real conversation, get real connection out of. Um, and a lot, I got a, a message. Someone was like, well, do you only talk to people who are your friends? No. I have s- several people lined up who are not my friends. I don't know them at all. But what I wanted to do is start off with what is here. like, And people yeah. I know who have deep things to say about what we live through every single day and the, the adversity that's right here, you know? So that's why people I've come brought into the studio have been people that I know have something to say that to add to this adversity. And then we branch out and it's, and it's been great because now we've got people from Virginia who would like to, you know, come over and talk to us about their perspective on what they're hearing from the black community there versus here, which is like light, like night and day. And we'll talk about how it, how it comes together. So I think we were going to say something about, um, what were we talking about? Exposure to people of color. So what, what would you, in a society, in a place like this where there is no people of color, and I say that, like, factually. 
There, there's more people now than there's ever been. Oh, I'll tell you. When I was growing up in Eugene in the seven, I'm older than you. Yeah. So, so in the seventies, I think because I went to, I lived more in working class neighborhoods mm-hmm. in Eugene, at least up until I moved out permanently to Pleasant Hill. Yeah. Um, which is its own mix of both kind of very poor and wealthy. Um, there was only one black family in the whole school district when I was in the last part of junior high and high school. Yeah. And she was in my grade, but, you know, one, one, one kid. One, no, That so, was my reality when I went to school. I right, was, we were right. the only family in College Grove when I was in middle school. The only family in the whole day, the, the whole town. Right, yeah. right. And Eugene, uh, where I went to grade school, there were, I think, two black families. Mm-hmm. And so there were, you know, quite a few kids that... Um, from from those families, and then I'm pretty sure there were some, maybe one or two Hispanic kids. Okay, it, there wasn't as much of a Latino population in Eugene at that point, um, and then we had some kids from Middle Eastern kids whose parents were at the U of O, and some um, refugee kids that were um, okay from some other country, Asian countries. I'm not sure which because I was too young to n- understand much you know they were asian right all lumped together yeah Um, yeah um, so at least the school that i went to there were it wasn't entirely white Mm -hmm. but eugene seemed like i don't remember walking around eugene or going to the store and hardly ever seeing black people now when we went on our walk yesterday there were two other black folks yeah you know and i and just happened to be walking by on the bike path that's right you know and I see black folks in the car passing by. I'm like, hey, yeah, black folks. I got, really. So it, it, the population has increased, yeah. but um, um, it's. I think part of my process has started out um, well when I was younger, just becoming aware, you mm-hmm. know, as much as I could. I did some stuff in my twenties, um, really understanding systems of oppression. Um, and how that works and how liberation happens. Um, but really, in the last 10 years, it's been just trying to make connections and follow black writers, listen, you know, read black writers, listen mm-hmm. to um, people who are speaking, um, really just try and put my... You have to search for it because yep. it's not... Right. You just have to make a, a point of of following Right. People. Yeah. Um, and this, Facebook that, has helped a lot with that. I will will be honest. Social yeah. media has made it easier. Right. Um, to connect and to um, uh, easier to find sources. And so now, you know, I have a couple black podcasts I listen to, mm-hmm. some writers that I follow, and it, you know, that's opened my eyes up a lot. Um, right. Um, when I first moved into the house that I live in now, and your brother and his family lived up the street, mm-hmm. and. Um, it wasn't like we became super big friends, but right. you know, you're aware of each other, right? And mm-hmm. then then you moved in next door, and there's you know, that getting to know your family, right? Um, yeah, more immediately your kids, and mm-hmm. and you know, I wanted to be your friend because I fell in love with your family. Yeah. You know, like, like she must be kind of cool uh, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> so proximity helps. Um, paying attention helps. Um, yeah, yeah. Being, making an active effort. Um, and Don't again, it's not just it's not just to learn something about somebody else. It's yeah. for me too. Like right. it's for me too. Yeah. Because I'm understanding a lot more about things that, you know, that I 
like even with the music that I like, right? You know, I mean, I understood some of it as a kid that the roots of the music that I like all came from black people, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I really understood that more until the last ten or fifteen years. Yeah, you know, the white music that I like, right, has its roots in uh, in black music. Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of the folk music and old country music and and all that 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 I do enjoy. You know, like I'm doing this for myself as well. Well, uh, that's to expand it's, my humanity. It's interesting that you take that perspective because I think like when we first began this conversation, how we had to explain white privilege and fragility to white folks is to take race out of it. And so for you to say it's because I'm human, you know, and th- if if people are trying to are struggling with this idea of learning about black folks, first of all, lean into that and figure out why. Second, I mean, honestly, yes. think about why you're feeling so weird about being curious about black people. I'm not talking about brown people. I'm not talking about Native Americans. I'm not talking about Latin. I'm talking about black folks because that's what I'm concerned with. I see. Right. Like you said, we can line it all up. You talk about Latinos, Afro-Latinos are behind Latinos. You know, you talk about Native, black Natives are behind Natives. You see what I'm saying? You talk about, uh, you know, uh, queer, black queer are behind queer. So when you talk about... And it doesn't put one better than the other. I just look at the reality of black matters, you know? And if you are having an issue with talking about black people, lean into that. Like, really on your own. And just kind of go, where is that coming from? Well, really with anything that you're uncomfortable with. Anything. I mean, if it's queer issues, if it's, you know, you're skeezed out and trying to figure out how to properly relate to somebody in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you're worried about saying the wrong thing or tripping all over yourself. Well, you know, go read some books and go meet some people and you're probably going to trip over yourself. I'm sure at some point in time, I'm going to say some stupid thing that, you know, to you or, I mean, mean, I'm sure I have, but uh, you know, it'll happen. You just have to realize it. Okay. Hopefully I've built up enough of a connection with you that yeah. you'll, you'll see that well, my heart's in the right place and, you know. You know, allyship is complicated. And I, is. I've met very few white folks who believe that they're, they're allies who are actually allies. And you're one of the people who I believe is an actual ally. You know, and it may be that you were able to get to bridge that gap because you're in a marginalized group yourself. I'm sure. Yeah. It has a big part right. to do with it. That takes away the privilege. You see what I'm saying? Like, because there's a part of your privilege that you see your skin color, uh, you know, privilege. But then there's another part that you recognize that you don't get to participate in. Um, And so I encourage white folks who don't understand it, go live amongst people who are not white. Go live amongst people who you don't know anything about. But go vacation for a couple months if you can. Do some reading and do some talking with people who Mm -hmm. are a little ahead of you first so that you don't make a big old mess (laughs) on your way in the door. Well, the one thing that we do, the microaggressions, is the fact is that we're almost ready, unfortunately, for white folks to trip up all over themselves. Oh, yeah. There's a level of, like, that, you know that we deal with all the time. So we're like, yeah, here comes this fool. But the truth of is that that fool keeps coming and is good, the intention and impact where they're like, I, like when I was learning about pronouns and I kept calling my friend her, the pronoun was them. And I keep going, ah, you know, I'm trying. And they're like, you'll get it. You'll get it. Right. (laughs) And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm here and I'm going to be, I'm going to keep doing it until I can get it, you know? And I want to honor you and your journey. I'm trying, you know? And, and it was, and they were just like, well, you will. Come intent on, doesn't you know. equal impact, but intent 
I mean, it, it does help. It doesn't. It does not equal impact. No, it doesn't. But, but However, but, is, but 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 intent does play a role. It does. It does play a role. And it gives a little is, space. Be honest. Right. Be honest. You know. Trust me, black folks, queer folks, we can tell five hundred miles away. <laughs> That you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) And that you're uncomfortable. That you're uncomfortable. We see that from a thousand miles away. (laughs) Yes, we do. Believe it. Okay? Yeah. We're waiting to see how you come with it. Are you going to come kind? Are you going to come humble? Like, Or are you just going to come in here pushing your way through because that's the way we've always done it and that's how I want it? Right. It really, it really depends on how it's going to be handled. So I do want to say that we're almost done for the hour, but um, we're probably going to go a little bit over. I just want to see, want to tell you something that uh, we have a comment here from Ferial in Hawaii that is saying, and I, we should probably have, just so that we address this, that we will probably have to have a whole nother podcast, a whole nother episode on this, but I want to say it because she commented on yeah. it. So she was talking about, and you're a sports person, so maybe we'll come yeah. back and talk about this. Yeah, it says, there was a Facebook post of a transgender biologically male uh, white child was awarded Female Athlete of the Year Award. And when the idea of him taking away from females' ability to compete on a playing level field, a level playing field, I'm not sure what that, um, a queer friend felt people pointing it out was an attack on the child. Yet... The black woman, biologically female, was banned from competing against women unless she lowered her natural testosterone. That All of that is true and factual. Uh, she said LGBTQ is more accepted overall than non-whites, it would seem. But, uh, what are y'all thoughts? LGBTQ was made, has made more strides to equality in 10 years than non-whites, and the stances taken toward their plight tend to be romanticized and accepted like it's a strain, like it's a stage versus non-whites plight is about don't go too far with your idea. Society doesn't accept you or want your recognition. It's a long little, um, yeah, yeah, it's a a big one. That's a longer conversation. No, it's it's a good one. I don't even know how to dip my toe in that without, Sliding all the way in there. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, and there's parts of that that I don't... Um, I'm still learning about trans issues. Yeah. I'm not trans. I'm cis white woman. Yeah. Um, I'm fairly non-gender conforming, but yeah. I still have a lot to learn about that portion of the community, and yeah. I don't want to speak for trans folks I don't feel like I'm qualified I would love to speak to someone athletic that is dealing in this world and trans dealing in the world because that's complicated yeah well I know that people got really she's talking about Castor Semenya who's Uh an 800 runner um, and Castor Semenya is intersex she was actually not Mm. born biologically female she was raised biologically raised female oh um but she's an intersex person Uh uh-huh um and so really clueless folks will say well because she has the y chromosome or however that works yeah uh, that she's actually biologically male that's not really true like you can get into a whole discussion about like um you know, next level um, genetics around that. Um, but I do know that the reason why she was singled out has a large part to do because she has a very muscular black body. Right. And um, within the um, negativity towards uh, athletes, 
Um, a lot of that gets mixed up with um, the same kind of crap that uh, Serena Williams gets, even though right. she's straight and cis, she's a muscular black woman, right. and so she gets called he all the time in these, you know, hate comments mm-hmm. and whatnot. And mm-hmm. so, so there's kind of separate topics there. There are the ways that that um, um, I mean, Michael Phelps's body is slightly different. Yeah, he. he uh, deals with lactic acid different he's like i got a genetic advantage uh, nobody has any trouble with that katie ledecky who was a white swimmer um who, incredibly masculine uh, body yeah uh, presenting body right um no one has no one issue. had an issue with right. her if she had been a black swimmer there would have been an issue right right there it's been criminalizing their so, black bodies period correct right and and in in sports in general even if you take out the whole trans issue um really muscular um, you know, Brittany Griner mm-hmm. gets, uh, she's, she's a lesbian, but she, uh, is a cis woman, but she's, uh, fairly masculine presenting. Mm-hmm. And so she gets a lot more hate, um, that's directed at her, um, because of that. So there's, and cis there's meaning, a, if people are listening and don't understand what cis is, it's the normative. It, it's it means you're born, born into the, right. you identify with the gender that you were born assigned. Into. Into, exactly. Right. Right. So, I have female parts. I was born female. I identify as female. Right. Therefore, I'm cis. Cis. There um, we go. I just um, wanted to put that out there in case people are learning as they are hearing. Right. So, um, so that's kind of a whole whole separate issue. Um, uh, well, what I can see is is that racism, just like racism, is at work in and queer folks who are of color are at more risk for violence. It's the same sorts of thing with the trans issue that, that it's a hot button. It's going to bring up more of an issue around sports mm-hmm. when it's uh, muscular black bodies. Bodies, yeah. You have been an absolute jewel, <laughs> dropping all kinds of gems. Just so informative and awesome. You know I love you, girl. Okay. <laughs> Back um, at you. Yeah, this has been so amazing, and I'm so glad to have this conversation with you, and I hope people who are listening learn some things. Uh, we hit that topic very quick, but it was deep what you said, and I think it's a good things to think about. And I think um, it's something that we could talk more on for sure. And it is complicated because genetics itself, scientifically understanding how genetics works on a basic heteronormative, like straight, just how does a boy a boy and how is a girl a girl on those very basic levels right. is super complicated. It is. It's um, a lot more complicated than people think. Yeah, and it's not one of those things you should be throwing out like, you know, you know, loose and... <laughs> right. Calm down. It's hard, okay? Like, you know, for everybody. So, okay, well, I want to say thank you for being here. We're going to close out the show. We we did really well, actually. It was only a few minutes after 12, so we're perfectly fine. I, you know, I don't do things straight on dot. I'm late, and I stay, and I do what I want. Okay, so... <laughs> so... Uh, I'm going to say thanks for listening. I want to remember, I want to remind everyone to catch me on my podcast, Black Girl from Eugene. You can hear that podcast on any platform that podcasts are um, are listened to. You can also follow me on Instagram, which I would super appreciate. I'm trying to get some, some steam underneath that. Uh, please join me next week. We will have another guest on um, who I'm on the in the works with. Uh, and um, look on my Instagram and look on my Facebook Facebook page to find out what's coming up next. All right, I will leave you with some music on kepw.org.